Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, for this fourth Sunday of Easter, I'd like to concentrate on our second reading, which is from the first letter of Peter. It's a very beautiful text, by the way, and we consult it only rarely in the course of the liturgical calendar. Can I urge everybody, get out your Bibles and read the first letter of Peter. It's very short, easily, you can read it in about probably 20 minutes, if that. But it's a gorgeous reading with all kinds of interesting theology and spirituality in it. What seems eminently clear from the totality of the letter is that it was written to a suffering and probably persecuted church. Therefore, how to deal with adversity negativity, even the threat of death, was a very existential concern for the community that Peter was writing to. Now, what he offers us in the reading for today is an extraordinary and I think deeply Christian principle. Listen. Beloved, if you are patient when you suffer for doing what is good, this is a grace before God. Again, listen. Beloved, if you are patient when you suffer for doing what is good, that is a grace before God. See, if you suffer for doing something bad, well, that's just the law of karma. If you're obnoxious and someone is obnoxious back to you, well, you're getting what you deserve, I guess. If you're unjust to someone who's unjust to you, well, that's just the way things go. In other words, there'd be no particular credit for you in that. And by the same token, if you're kind and just and loving to those who are kind and just and loving to you, well, that's also just the law of karma. You get more or less what's coming to you. You know, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. It's okay. But as Jesus himself said, remember this from the Sermon on the Mount, if you love those who love you, What credit is there in that for you? Don't the pagans do as much? Stay with that line, everybody, for a while. If you love those who love you, I mean, that's easy. That's what he's saying. So, I mean, what credit is there for you? Don't the pagans, I mean, non-believers, we might say today, wouldn't a total secularist do as much? I mean, you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. Okay. So Peter, in this reading, following his master, is considering a third interesting possibility or scenario. Namely, that you've done something good, and the response you get is negative. You love, and you're answered with hatred. You're kind, and and the response to you is, is cruelty. You're 
just, but someone is deeply unjust to you in return. What do you do when that happens? Well, I mean, I know the temptation. We, we all feel it. Like, come on. How, how could you do that? In fact, that's probably going to knock any goodwill I have out of me. I, I've been really nice to you, and, and I get this in return? Are you kidding? But how about Peter suggesting? Instead of answering in kind, out of high dudgeon, you accept it. To use his language, you suffer for doing what is good. That's a grace before God. Someone's hurt you. And see, to make it worse, you've been kind to them. You've done good things for them. And, and they answer negatively or they don't appreciate it. They even go beyond not appreciating it. They're cruel to you. What do you do? To suffer for doing what is good. That's a grace before God. Now, how do we know it's a grace before the Lord? The short answer, it's how Jesus behaved. Listen to St. Peter again. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you. When he was insulted, he returned no insult. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Instead, he handed himself over to the one who judges justly. It's a powerful text. See, in a word, Jesus exemplified in his own life exactly what he recommended in the Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who maltreat you. When someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn and give them the other. So this is certainly what Jesus was about in both word and action. And we followers of Jesus, okay, that's what we do. We follow the master. But if I might just press it, why should this move have the spiritual power that it does? I think here's maybe a simple answer. It's an expression of love. And love is what God is. To love is to will the good of the other as other. Not willing is good that it might redound to you, not being nice that they might be nice back to you, but really wanting simply what is good for the other. Therefore, the best test of love is the love of those who will not be kind to you in return. Right? Because then you know, I'm not doing this out of self-interest. Doing this, especially in extreme cases, just seems to tap into something very deep in people's hearts. And indeed, I would say, deep in the very structure of reality. Now, don't get me wrong, the church has a teaching on just war because sometimes in our conflicted world, all we can do in the presence of great evil is to fight back. Sometimes, if you're aggressed you know, in a very uh, direct way, all you can do is, is fight back. 
But I wonder whether we've allowed this to become our default position. One of the criteria of the just war theory, after all, is that a just war is undertaken only as a last resort. See what I mean? Fighting fire with fire seems for most of us the first resort, (laughs) not the last. In light of what St. Peter is teaching us today, can we understand more deeply the great prophets of nonviolence in our tradition? So Martin Luther King, very much influenced by these New Testament texts, urged his followers simply to take seats at segregated lunch counters. Listen now. And then be willing to endure patiently the suffering that would inevitably follow. He urged them to walk the streets of segregated cities and then patiently suffer the water cannons, snarling dogs, and jail cells that inevitably followed. How did this work? Because it's their little question that it did work in our country. Again, I think it affected some sort of alchemy in the hearts of his opponents and in the country as a whole. Though on the surface, indeed, it looked like defeat or just surrender, in fact, it unleashed some strange power. And see, that's getting close to it, I think, everybody. What's the strange power? It's that power of the love that God is. That's why suffering for doing good is a grace before the Lord. It's, it's tapping into the grace that he is. Now, perhaps some more light can be shed if we follow St. Peter's description of Jesus from this reading. Listen. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Now, can I suggest a rather non-Anselmian reading of this? Now, when I say that, I'm referring to St. Anselm, the great medieval theologian who offered the so-called satisfaction theory of the atonement, you know, that Jesus paid this price that we should have paid, that he took upon himself the suffering that we deserved, etc. But see, I wonder whether we could read this along the lines I've been exploring in this sermon. Jesus took on the wickedness of the world, and, and that's what the passion narratives present to us, isn't it? It's like all the wickedness, all the cruelty and sin and injustice and evil of the world comes at him. But he didn't respond in kind as he could have, right? With his infinite divine power, he could have responded in kind. Instead, he answered with forgiveness and with nonviolence. He suffered for doing good. And now I'm just suggesting here, not so much to satisfy an angry God, but rather to take away the sins of the world. By by opening up this space of love, he enveloped and swallowed up the evil that was poured out on him. He allowed evil, as it were, to spend itself on him. 
he himself, as divine, is this very source of grace. And so when he suffered for doing what is right, it was the unleashing of the totality of the power of divine love into the world. And so we speak of him as indeed taking away the sins of the world. Now, those who followed him over the years, and again, go back to to Dr. King, were they tapping into something of this same saving dynamic? And is that exactly what St. Peter's describing? If we suffer for doing what is good, that's a grace before the Lord. Okay, so let me close with this question for, for all of us. How do we respond when suffering comes to us from doing good? You know? Do we answer in kind? Or do we, by bearing it patiently, tap into the infinite reserves of the divine love? See, that's an interesting thing, isn't it, everybody? That the divine love is is bottomless, it's infinite, it's inexhaustible. That's why tapping into it is is it unleashes something that can change the world. During this Easter season, think of the response of Jesus to those who had betrayed him, denied him, run from him at the moment of truth. Talk about think Jesus on the cross thinking how he was suffering, not just at the hands of his, of his executioners, but suffering psychologically and personally. How or why? For doing good. Everything in his life was nothing but good, and yet he was met with extraordinary suffering. But what was his response? Shalom, right? What he typically says after he appears, risen from the dead. Shalom, peace. If we can suffer for doing what is good, respond not in kind but with God's own shalom, we can unleash a power that can change the world. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.